Well, good morning, ladies. Good morning, gentlemen. And good morning to all those that didn't answer. Hey, we're here this morning, and we're going to be kicking off our new series, Eternity, called Eternity. It's going to be a four-week study where we'll be talking about the things that lead us into eternity. And um, I have the fortunate, uh, I'm very fortunate to deliver to you uh, the message this morning. So I thought I'd start off from some very humbling and possibly very depressing news. All right, so here we go. From the moment that you were conceived in your mother's womb, the clock started ticking, leading you to your death. Welcome to church. The one thing that the entire world will agree upon is that we all are going to die. Where people start to face a differing of opinions is the life beyond death here on earth. You see, the phenomenon, phenomenon of life after death has been something that people have been interested and fascinated by since almost the beginning of time. It seems as, you know, you study history and you study the, the ancient Egyptians and how they mummified their pharaohs and, and they took their organs out and placed them in jars so that when they came back to the, from the afterlife that they would have all that there. Even to re, in researching and understanding the ancient Chinese and the emperors there in China and how they had the terracotta soldiers that were there to protect the tomb of the emperor in the afterlife. There isn't a week that will go by that you can't turn on a television show that has something to deal with the supernatural. There, we've heard countless thousands of testimonies are out there about the life after death experience. Those people that have been on the, the operating table and have had that outer body experience of hovering over their body. We've had books written about it. A young boy, there was a movie about him last year, As Heaven is for Real. All these are test, testify to there's a life after death and the experience that it has. But there are many there out there that will say that they're, this isn't true. They're skeptics of that. And while it is their testimony, and you can't necessarily prove that scientifically, there is one way to prove that there is life after death. There is one story that has been proven throughout history and the research search of of history that there has been life after death. And not just the spiritual life after death that many world religions would, would believe in, but there was an actual physical life after death resurrection. It, 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 it starts almost 2,000 years ago, just over 2,000 years ago, on what we call the Easter event, Easter Sunday. It's the time we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here this morning that we have church is because we celebrate that. We believe in that. That, that Easter event is not just that Jesus was resurrected from the grave spiritually, but he was resurrected from the grave physically. And I'm going to prove that to you because it's been proven beyond a doubt as you study Romans history. Now, before I get into that, I wanted to go in to say that many scholars have researched the New Testament. They've researched the New Testament in the Bible, and they would say to you that it had been written probably closer to the second century Christians. Well, that just wasn't true. There was a man by the name of John Robertson in the 1970s who was believing that of his fellow scholars, that the New Testament was written closer to the second century. But Upon researching his own, uh, doing research on his own, he discovered that that just wasn't the case. The New Testament was actually written and completed by 54 AD, 
which led to the conclusion that those that had written the New Testament were alive at the point of Jesus' death and resurrection. So the New Testament was written then. He, he even felt so confident in this that in March 21st, 1977, he published this in Time magazine and told all of his fellow scholars to go ahead and challenge him on this. Not one of his fellow scholars challenged him on this. As we go and we study Roman history, it's written in the Roman history books about the, the death of Jesus and the physical resurrection, the, the missing of the body. Well, let me give you a little history lesson on Rome and the Roman Empire. When Jesus died, he faced a Roman death. The crucifixion was that of Rome. Before Jesus um, was put on the cross, he faced days of beating where the Romans would put on the ends of whips pieces of glass and wood and metal that would dig into the flesh of Jesus. So every time it, pulled, it hit him, they pulled out, they ripped flesh out. Jesus' body was so beaten before he went to the cross that you could physically put your hand between his ribs. Gruesome. Then he was made to walk through town carrying a cross, nailed to a cross to where his body would be spread out to where it would cause his body to suffocate as he was stretched out on a cross. When he came off the cross, he didn't just, wasn't still alive, he was completely dead. They tested him, they was confirmed that he was dead. Once he was dead, they would have taken Jesus' body, they would have taken it and packed his body with spices and herbs and frankincense and all those things, the gifts that he was given at his birth. And then they would have wrapped him in death shrouds. They would have placed him into a tomb where they did. Now, the closing of the tomb was the entrance was of a giant stone that was rolled in front of the tombs. It would take 20 men to roll away this, this tomb. Now, if that wasn't enough, they went ahead and they sealed the tomb. They sealed it with the Roman seal. Nobody was going to mess with the Roman seal because if you did, that meant you were messing with Caesar and therefore you would be executed. In the Bible, we read about how there was a guard outside the tomb. In my mind, before doing the research, a guard was one person, maybe two people standing outside the tomb of Jesus. But to understand Roman history, a guard that was standing outside the tomb of Jesus was a, comprised of about 12 to 15 soldiers armed with spears and swords. So the skeptics would say, would have you say, say that, well, the Roman Empire took the body of Jesus. Well, no, they wouldn't have done that because if, had they done that, they knew they would have had an all-out war. Well, then they say the Pharisees, they took, and the high priests, they took the body of Jesus. Again, why would they take the body of Jesus when they wanted to prove that he was dead? And, they would, and if they did take his body, they would have marched him through the streets, proving again, once again, that he, he was dead. But they wouldn't have taken his body from the tomb. So it must have been the disciples. Well, if we can remember, leading up to the death of Jesus, only Peter was brave enough to kind of even follow close before he even denied Jesus while he's getting beaten. And so the rest of the disciples went off into hiding because they were afraid for their life, that it was soon going to happen to them what had happened to Jesus. 
You see, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have even tried to approach the tomb because of the, 15 to 12, the 12 to 15 men standing there with spears. And the, and the guards wouldn't have fallen asleep out, out in the watch because if they would have, if anyone would have fallen asleep, it would have been the, the order of the one next to them that, to kill them. And they would have been executed. So, Jesus' body only makes sense that he was resurrected by God when the tomb was found empty. Well, sure, then people are saying, well, there's the spirit of Jesus that went around. But you see, it goes beyond that. It goes to show not only in Scripture, but in the history books that the account of Jesus actually took place in the physical form. You see, Jesus was seen by Peter and then by the other apostles before revealing himself to almost 500 people and to then to James and then to physically being seen by Paul. Well, we say, well, Paul only saw him in the, in the, in, through the vision on the road to Damascus before he came Saul. But no, Paul accounts that he physically saw Jesus. Now, to understand Paul, Paul was a man that was murdering Christians before he became converted himself. He had the ear of the Roman Empire. He was trusted. He was believed by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and those people. He was high up. So they would not, they would not believe that he would be a liar or be lying about his account. The, the vision of the, 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 the appearance of Christ before all the disciples, they wouldn't have been lying about it either. You see, these eyewitnesses, they were, they were either really gullible fools, and if you believe that they were gullible fools, I, I challenge you to read the Bible and read through the New Testament, and you'll see how it speaks to you. Or they were deliberate liars. Well, why in the world would they go about lying about the gospel of, of God and the, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ when they were facing death? They were witnesses of the resurrection. They saw it, it happen. They saw Christ die on the cross. They saw his physical body. It's not like Watergate when people started coming out with the truth and people started lying and coming clean real quick because they knew they were facing time in prison. No, these people held true to the word of truth that Jesus really resurrected. Today, we're gonna focus on one particular area of, of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles with you, I, I ask you to go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can pull it up on your phone with the Bible app. And I'm going to be reading from the message uh, translation because I feel it explains this thing just so close, clearly. It's so interesting, and I want you to pay attention to the words of Paul today in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because he wrote this almost 2,000 years ago. But it's so relevant to who we are and what we're about today. So friends, let me go over the message with you one final time, as Paul writes, this message that I proclaim and that you made your own. This message which on you took your stand by which your life has been saved. I'm assuming now that your belief was the real thing and not a passing fancy, that you're in this good and holding fast. The first thing I did was place before you, before you what was placed so emphatically before me, that the Messiah died for our sins, exactly as the Scripture tells it, 
And he was buried and he was raised from death on the third day, exactly as the scripture says. That he presented himself alive to Peter and then to his closest followers and later to more than 500 of his followers all at the same time. Most of them still around. Although a few since had died. And then he spent time with James and the rest of, his, of those he commissioned to represent him. And then he finally presented himself alive to me. It was fitting that I bring up the rear because I don't deserve to be included with that inner circle, as you well know, having spent all those early years trying my best to stamp out God's church right out of existence. But because God was so gracious, so very generous, here I am. And I'm not about to let this, his grace go to waste. Haven't I worked hard trying to do more than any of the others? Even then, my work didn't even amount to all that much. It was God giving me the work to do, God giving me the energy to do it. So whether you heard it from me or from those others, it's all the same. We spoke God's truth and you entrusted your lives. Now, let me ask you something profound yet troubling. If you became believers because you trusted the proclamation that Christ is alive, risen from the dead, how can you let people say that there is no such thing as a resurrection? That's a great question to ask ourselves this morning. How is it that we can allow people in our world to deny their power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ if we truly believe that in our hearts today? How is it that we cannot allow ourselves to really go out and spread this news? Because this is great news. The resurrection means that death has been defeated. Sin has been overcome. If there's no resurrection, there's no living Christ. And face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors. If there's no resurrection of the risen Christ, there's no point to being here this morning. It's all smoke and mirrors. If there's no resurrection in Jesus Christ, this Bible is pointless. Because I'm here to tell you the resurrection is true. God's word is true. His life is true. Not only that, but we would be guilty of telling bold, barefaced lies about God. All these affidavits we passed on to you verifying that God raised up Christ, sheer fabrications if there's no resurrection. If corpse can't be raised, then Christ wasn't because he was indeed dead. Like I stated earlier, the historical context of how Christ died on the cross and what they would have done to his body. There's no way he would have survived that. He was dead. And if Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark and lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ in the resurrection because they're already in the graves. Think about that. All those that have gone before us and have died believing this, they've died in vain. Those that we hear about on the news, what's happening to those that believe in Jesus Christ and claim his name and around the world that are being captured by ISIS, they die in vain if there's no resurrection. Brings it home a little bit, doesn't it? If we all get out, if all we get out of this is of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up. 
the first in a long legacy of those who will be raised and will leave the cemeteries. There's a, there is a nice symmetry in this. Death initially came by man, and the resurrection from death came by man. Everybody dies in Adam, and everybody comes alive in Christ. But we have to wait our turn. Christ is first, then those, who are, then those with him at his coming. The grand consummation, when after crushing the opposition, he hands over his kingdom to God the Father. He won't let up until the last enemy is down, and the very last enemy is death. And as the psalmist said, he laid them low, one and all. He walked all over them. When the scripture says that he walked all over them, it's obvious that he couldn't have been the same that, at the same time being walked on. When everything and everyone is finally under God's rule, the son will step down, take his place with everyone else, showing God's rule is absolutely comprehensive, a perfect ending. Why do you think it is that people offer themselves to be baptized for those already in the grave if there's no chance of a resurrection of a corpse? If God's power stops at the cemetery gates, why do we keep doing the things that suggest he's going to clean the place out someday, pulling everyone up to their feet alive? And why do you think I keep risking my neck in this dangerous work? I look to death, I look death in the face practically every day I live. Do you think I do this if I wasn't convinced of the resurrection, of your resurrection and mine as guaranteed by the resurrected Messiah, Jesus? Just think about that for a second. Why would Buddy, Kelly, Colin, and Tim Taft go to Nigeria if the resurrection wasn't true? Who just last week in the news, the, the terrorist organization um, in Nigeria sworn allegiance to ISIS. Why would they go and risk their lives to go out in the streets where it's dangerous to go, especially as a white person in the streets of Nigeria where they know that you're there either to be an oil worker or to spread the gospel, where they want to push down Christianity? Why would they risk that for then for th over 300 people to gather in the streets to hear the word of God and then for 150 people to, to accept Jesus Christ if there wasn't a resurrection, if it wasn't true. In northern Nigeria, let me tell you a little bit about northern Nigeria. And so we're fortunate that we kind of work in the southern part of Nigeria. In northern Nigeria, Christians are being severely persecuted to the point where they'll come into the villages in the middle of the night and they'll cut out the tongues of those who believe in Jesus Christ. The, to the point where they'll enter onto the bus, they'll pull off all the Christians on the bus, leaving the Christian bus driver in the driver's seat. To lay them out on the street and then to order, if he really believes in Jesus Christ, that he will run over top of those bodies. It's not the news you hear about every day. But those people are not dying in vain. They're dying because they believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're very fortunate in America not to have to face that at this point in our lives. That day could come. But if we believe what we believe, we have nothing to fear if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you think I was just trying to act heroic when I fought the wild beasts at Ephesus, hoping it would be the end of me? 
not on your life. It's the resurrection. Resurrection, always resurrection that undergirds what I do and say and the way I live. If there's no resurrection, we eat, we drink, and the next day we die. And that's all there is to it. But don't fool yourselves. Don't let yourselves be poisoned by this anti-resurrection loose talk. Bad company ruins good manners. Think straight. Awaken to the holiness of life. No more playing fast and loose with resurrection facts. Ignorance of God is a luxury you can't afford in times like these. Aren't you embarrassed that you've let this kind of thing go on as long as you have? Paul's speaking to us today. Are we embarrassed with where we're at in our country who was a God-fearing country and where the state of our country is today because we've allowed people to have a greater voice than that of God? And we haven't been willing to really stand up and speak that? Some skeptic are very skeptic, are sure to ask, how, show me the resurrection, how it works. Give me a diagram. This is just our world today, isn't it, too? Paul writes this like this. Give me a diagram, draw me a picture. What does this resurrection body look like? If you look at this question closely, you'll realize how absurd it is. There are no diagrams for this kind of thing. We do, not, we do have, though, a parallel experience in gardening. You plant a dead seed. Soon, there is a flourishing plant. There's no visible, visual likeness between seed and plant. You can never guess what a tomato would look by, like by looking at a tomato seed. We plant it in the soil, and what grows out of it doesn't look anything alike. The dead body that we bury in the ground and the resurrection body that comes form from it will be dramatically different. You will notice that a variety of bodies is stunning. There are, just as there are different kinds of seeds, there are different kinds of bodies, human, animals, birds, fish, each unexpected in its own form. You get a hint of the, at the diversity of the resurrection glory by looking at the diversity of the bodies, not only on earth, but in the skies. Looking at the sun, the moon, the stars, all these varieties of beauty and brightness. And we're only looking at pre resurrection seeds. Who can imagine what the resurrection plants will be like? Look at your neighbor to your left. Look at your neighbor to your right. You're looking at resurrection seeds. I'm a seed that one day I will die and I'll be put into the ground. But because of Jesus Christ, at my death, my spirit will rise but when Jesus comes back, my body will rise. A new form, a new plant, a new being, physically. This image of plant, planting a dead sea and raising a live plant is mere sketch at best. But perhaps it will help in the approaching of the mystery of the resurrection body. But only if you keep in mind that when we're raised, we're raised for good and alive forever, in all eternity. When we are raised from the grave of death, we will be alive forever. The corpse that was planted is no beauty, but when raised, it's glorious. Put in the ground weak, and when we come up, we're strong. The seed sown is natural. The seed grown 
as we come out is supernatural. Same seed, same body, but what a difference from when it go, goes down in the physical mortality and it comes up in raised in spiritual immortality. We follow the sequence in the scripture. First Adam received life. Last, the last Adam is the living, is life giving spirit. Physical life comes first, then spiritual. A firm base shaped from the earth. A final completion coming out of heaven. The first man was made out of the earth. And people since then are earthly. The second man was made out of heaven. Jesus was made out of heaven. And now people can be heavenly. So that's why we go back to the ground when we die. God formed us. In Genesis, we read, he formed us. He gathered up the dirt and the clay, and he formed our body, and he breathed into our nose life, physical life, beautiful life, his creation. And then the fall of man came. And so to the ground, our bodies would then fall again. And to bring us back to life, he brings in his son, Jesus Christ, who would face death, who came from heaven so that we could have life eternally. I tell you this, something wonderful, a mystery. This is the great part of this message right here. I'll probably never fully understand it. We're all going to die, but we're all going to be changed. You hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet, and at the same time you look up and in the blink of an eye, it's over. On signal from the trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up, and out of their graves, beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At the same moment, in that same way, will be, be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable taken off the shelves and replaced by the imperishable. The mortal replaced by the immortal. And then the saying comes true, death swallowed by trumpet life. Who got the last word, O oh death? O oh death, who is afraid of you now? It was sin that made death so frightened. The law code of guilt that gave sin leverage. It's destructive power, but by a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, and death are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. Thank God. We should be thanking God. We have victory over death. We have victory over sin. We have victory over guilt. It comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That phrase should not be read, oh, death swallowed by triumph life. It should be death swallowed by triumphant life. Who got the last word, oh, death? Oh, death, who's afraid of you now? We shouldn't have fear of death, should we? Yeah, uh-oh. That's right. That's what death should be saying. Uh-oh. Yeah. She's got it right out of the mouth of a child, out of the mouth of a babe. It was sin that made death so frightening. The law code guilt and sin leverage was to that. How many of us have asked forgiveness for our sins, and yet sometimes we're still trapped by the guilt or the shame of our past? I'm here to tell you today, no more. Stop putting yourself in the courtroom. We do that too much. 
We've asked for forgiveness, God's forgiveness, but yet we still allow ourselves to be put in the courtroom. You know what the crazy thing is? Is the verdict's already in. The jury's already come back with the verdict. Not guilty. You're not guilty. You're not guilty. You're not guilty. You're free. You have freedom. You have life. You have victory. Thank God. With all that's going on for us, my dear my dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. Start living our lives like we're alive instead of like we're dead. Start living our lives through the power of Jesus Christ, alive, standing up for what is true. Because we have victory. Start being confident and what it is that God has given us. So what do we learn from this passage of Scripture? Paul says it so well. The first thing we learn is that Jesus came back to life physically. He came back to life physically. We see in the account of the Scripture is that he was seen by hundreds upon hundreds of people. If you read in the book of John, it will tell you that Thomas, one of his disciples, had a tough time believing that that was actual Jesus physically when he was there in front of him. He thought it was just a supernatural spirit of seeing Jesus. But yet, Jesus had him touch him in the side where the spear had jabbed him. He could feel the flesh of Christ. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Physically alive. The second thing that this will tell us is if we don't believe that, denial of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is denial of the entire gospel. It's a denial of the entire Christian faith. If you don't believe in the resurrection, then you don't believe in Christ. You don't believe in what the power of the Bible, his word, is. It's true. This is the truth. The resurrection is true. If there's no resurrection, then why are we here on a Sunday morning? Because we can get free donuts? No. Paul also points out in this passage of Scripture that Christ's resurrection is directly related to our resurrection. You see, Christ had to die and defeat death so that you and I could defeat death with our belief in him. Death initially came by man, and the resurrection of death came by man, Jesus Everyone dies in Adam. Everyone comes to life in Christ who defeated death. He established some of the characteristics of our new bodies. Equating us to that we're going to die in this flesh here on earth, but be raised up to supernatural beings. We're here as mortals, but when we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and death is defeated and we're called out of the grave, we are then immortal. 
our new bodies. And finally, this here is that he tells us that we should celebrate. We should celebrate the victory that we have over death. We have victory. Did you hear me? Victory over death through the blood of Jesus Christ. We need to celebrate that. Celebrate that this Easter. There are friends and family members that are walking around dead. Invite them this Easter to experience, so show them into the journey of eternity by experiencing the resurrection of Jesus Christ as we celebrate on Easter. We have victory. He tells us we should celebrate because death is swallowed in triumphant life through Jesus Christ. How can we be assured of this, this victory over death? How can we be assured? Well, you believe. You believe in the resurrection because Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. John eleven twenty five. 25. Believe in the resurrection because it's true. Despite what the skeptics would say, it's been historically proven. It's scripturally proven. Then follow the way of Jesus. Follow the way of Jesus. Well, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Well, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. Well, Jesus is also the resurrection. He's also the life. So you follow Jesus, you're going to be resurrected because he's the resurrected one. And he's also life. So you have life beyond death. We're going to stand and we're going to worship and we're going to sing this song before we close out the service. When we believe in the resurrection with all of our hearts, allowing ourselves to die to the things of the world every day, we will start having that resurrection power in our life forever and forever. Let us sing. If there are words for him, then I do not have them. You see, my brain has not yet reached a point where it can form a thought that could adequately describe the greatness of my God. And my lungs have not yet developed the ability to release a breath with enough agility to breathe out the greatness of his love. And my voice. You see, my voice is so inhibited, restrained by human limits, it's so hard to even send up praise to him. You see, if there are words for him, then I do not have them. My God, his grace is remarkable, his mercy is innumerable, strength is impenetrable. He's honorable, accountable, and favorable. He's unsearchable, yet knowable. 
indefiable yet approachable, indescribable yet personal. He is beyond comprehension, further than the imagination, constant throughout the generations, king of every nation. But if there are words for him, then I do not have them. You see, my words are few, and I try to capture the one true God using my vocabulary just would never do. But I use words as an expression, an expression of worship to our Savior, a Savior who is both worth and deserving of my praise, so I use words. My heart extols the Lord and blesses his name forever. He has won my heart, captured my mind, and he has bound them together. He has defeated me in my rebellion, conquered me in my sin, and has welcomed me into his presence, completely invited me in. He has made himself an object of my sight, flooding me with mercies in the morning, drowning me with grace in the night. But if there are words for him, then I do not have them. But what I do have is good news. For my God knew a man-made words would never do. For words are just tools to point to the truth. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the word, the living proof. He is the image of the invisible God, firstborn in all creation. For by him, all things created, giving nothing less formation. And by his words, he sustains the power of his name. For he is above all things. And over all things he reigns. Holy is his name. So praise him in this life. The way he persevered and striked the humbling son of God becoming the perfect sacrifice, praise him in his death. That he willingly stood in our place. That he lovingly endured the grave. That he battled our enemy and on the third day, he rose again in victory. He is everything that was promised. Praise him, the king the risen king lift your voice and sing for one day he will return for us and we will finally be reunited with our savior for all eternity so it's not just words that i proclaim for the words point to the word and the word has a name hope has a name joy has a name peace has a name love has a name life has a name the resurrection has his name, and that name is Jesus Christ. Praise him forever. <laughs>